If you take out your books, uh, which by the way, they've done a wonderful job with these books, uh, you'll see on that first page a diagram called the Gospel Waltz. And we can call it anything. You, you, could have, you could have called it a three-legged stool if you wanted to. The, the, the whole point that I want us to get this weekend is that the Christian life is integrated. It's balanced. It involves constant repentance, constant belief, and constant what I call the fight which is fighting against sin with all of our might and fighting for righteousness. And, and Paul calls the Christian life a fight, right? In, in 1 Timothy, he tells Timothy and all of us to fight the good fight of faith. Uh, Christianity is not a passive religion. We are called to fight. Uh, in Hebrews, we're called to strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In, in, in Second Peter, we're called to make every effort. Now, the thing is, for most of us, that's all we've heard. And this is where the pain comes from in my own life. So, uh, when, when you see the gospel waltz, the reason why I, I use all three and I call it a waltz instead of a stool, is because a stool is very static. It's just a seat with three legs. It's balanced, but it's static. And you're passive. You're just sitting on a stool. The picture of a waltz is very flowing, and it's very active. But it's not a waltz unless you're constantly engaged in all three steps, right? One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. So that's why we call it the waltz, and we'll talk more about that uh, as we move on. So then if you skip in your booklet, I believe to page uh, seven, we'll dig into our first session. now. Uh, I want you to understand more of the deep pain that this very simple concept came out of. I explained that I did not grow up in a Christian home. I explained uh, that I heard the gospel when I was 20. Uh, I'm a basketball fanatic. I still shoot uh, 200 to 250 three-pointers uh, every other day. We have a gym in our church. And nothing gives me more escape pleasure than going into the gym and just shooting three-pointers. I have a machine that actually catches the ball and passes it to me, and uh, I am… I don't think about anything except for shooting, which for me is such a release, such an escape. So, uh, before I was a Christian, that's all I did. I played basketball and I went to school. I grew up in a college town. Uh, it's called State College, Pennsylvania. There's a university there called Pennsylvania State University or Penn State. And uh, my parents would drive me up to the university from the time I was 13. I'd play basketball five or six hours a day. They'd pick me up. And when I was old enough to drive, I drove myself and I did the same thing. 
And uh, God used basketball to lead me to Christ. Uh, there were a group of Christian basketball players playing Penn State, and at the end of the game, they shared with the entire audience uh, their testimonies of how they knew Jesus Christ. It's the first time I ever heard a Christian. So they, they handed out these comment guards. Uh, if you ever heard of Kentucky Fried Chicken, they had Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets that were empty. Uh, they hadn't been used for chicken. They weren't greasy. And uh, I filled out a comment card and said I wanted to talk to somebody. A guy came over to where I was living, and he went through the gospel with me. And I said, that's what it means to be a Christian? He said, yeah. I said, well, I want to be a Christian. And my life did change. Like I said, I, I wasn't this, this crazy sinner. I, I, was, I was actually the worst kind of sinner. I didn't think I was a sinner. And as he went through the gospel, I realized that, that God is a holy God and that I had failed to, to give my life to Him. I had failed to make Him my number one priority in life. And What's really amazing is the first few changes in my life I didn't even try to bring about. Like the first change in my life is I instantaneously had an insatiable hunger for the Scriptures. Like I didn't even own a Bible. And so the first thing I did is I ran down to a Christian bookstore and I bought myself a Bible. And I couldn't put it down. It wasn't that people told me I was supposed to read the Bible. It was a supernatural change that God had wrought into my life. The second change was I noticed that my priorities socially changed without anybody telling me to. I wanted to be around Christians who had known Jesus longer than I had. I wanted to understand what it meant to, to walk as a Christian. And so, uh, I didn't completely forget about my unbelieving friends, but I spent more time with Christians. And no one told me to do that. I just wanted to do that. That was a, a change that God had made in my life. And then the other change was, since I played so much basketball, I actually got pretty good at, at shooting. And so I made more than I missed. And so when I missed, um, let's just say colorful language would come out of my mouth. Does that translate? Do you know what I'm talking about? I would swear. I would cuss uh, because I was angry that I missed a shot. And uh, I, first game since I was a Christian, I was dribbling the ball, and I shot, and I missed, and I said, well, rats. <laughs> rats? Where did that come from? Because usually it was something much more colorful. And I realized that I had changed and I hadn't even tried. So, I was going on in my Christian life, and then I started thinking about things I never thought about before. See, before becoming a Christian, I was this happy-go-lucky, just free-spirited, positive. If you know Winnie the Pooh, I'm a tigger by nature. My, my daughter bought me 
years and years ago, she brought me a, a cup back from Disney, and it was a Tigger cup, and so I still have that. I'm, I'm a Tigger. And uh, suddenly, however, I was asking all these questions I never asked before because I never thought deeply before I was a Christian. So I thought, well, how do I know there's a God? How do I know the Bible's God's Word? How do I know Jesus even lived? How do I know Jesus rose from the dead? And I started asking all these questions I'd never asked before. And it plunged me into a season of doubt and despair. I've come to learn as I have done research on this that uh, the old saints called it the dark night of the soul. And as I began to be convinced through a study, by the way, if any of us here are struggling with doubt on any of those questions I just mentioned, you need to know there has never been more evidence, if that's what you're after, that everything we believe is true. Not just historically, not just from a literary perspective regarding the Scriptures, but philosophically, the only thing that makes this world make any sense at all is the Christian world and life view. And it may come time for us to gently, winsomely, and attractively play some very, um, well, in, in America we call it hardball. Uh, it means that, that we may need to get winsomely and attractively tough with the culture around us because the fact of the matter is the rest of the world who wants to follow a, a life of purpose and meaning and significance and morality. Apart from a Christian worldview, they have no foundation. They're, they're truly living an illusion. And sometimes we need to gently press people toward the precipice of them understanding the meaninglessness and the purposelessness and the lack of any foundation for morality that they have. And the reason I know this is because I lived it. So I began then to understand, okay, this is really true. There really is a God. He really is personal. He really has revealed Himself in Scripture. Jesus really is the Son of God. He really is the divine Son of God with a human nature. He really did die on the cross for our sins. He really did rise from the dead on the third day. He really did ascend into heaven. He really did send His Spirit upon the church. But now I was faced with another issue that plunged me even deeper into the dark night of the soul. And that is, though I was convinced I was going to heaven because I had transferred my trust from my own efforts to build my own record of righteousness to merit God's favor, and instead I transferred my trust to the obedient life and substitutionary death of Christ for my salvation. 
though I knew I was going to heaven, I felt like every day, if you're sitting where I'm sitting, and let's pretend that I am God, here's what I sense God was doing to me if I'm sitting where you were. I felt God had nothing but disappointment in me, no matter how hard I tried. I was doing all I knew how to do. I was praying. I was sharing my faith with the unbelieving world. I was reading the Bible. I was going to church. I was doing everything I knew how to do. And yet, my sense of God's posture toward me was this. And I didn't know how to get that sense that he was delighted in me. And it wasn't, it wasn't just like emotional trauma. It was, it was Scripture that told me I was supposed to be doing this. I mean, Matthew 5, 48. Be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, how do you deal with that? I knew I wasn't perfect. I knew I was going to heaven. I knew that ultimately I was forgiven. But what about the here and now? And so you know what I did? I'm an athlete. I just tried harder. That's all I knew how to do. You fail, you try harder. You mess up, you just gut it out. Try harder. And I kept on thinking that, that this sense of God turning toward me, this sense of of, of power or victory that maybe it was just over the next knoll of trying harder. And it wasn't. I'd never faced anything like the Christian life. In every area of my life up to that point, all I did was try harder. In basketball, I missed a shot. I go out and practice it for two more hours. My free throws, I just practice it for two more hours. Tennis, I just practice it for two more hours. Academics, I just study harder. Christianity was the first thing I'd ever experienced where the harder I tried, the worse I felt. The harder I tried, the more defeated I felt. It was interesting, people's responses while I was going through this dark night of the soul one of the big responses was, Bob, you must have unconfessed sin in your life. Oh, that's a good thing to tell a perfectionist. I already was examining everything I could, and now there's someone telling me I've got unconfessed sin in my life. Well, at one level, I'm sure they're right. So I spent all this time examining my, my life my motives, my every word, my every thought. Oh, that was healthy. Not. You know, then I had people say, well, Bob, here's your problem. You're trying too hard. 
okay, what do I do with that? Nobody seemed to be able to give me any help at all. Somehow, and now we're finally getting, that was all letting you know my story. Somehow I began to understand that what I was talking about, what I was needing understanding about was the Spirit-filled life. I mean, Scripture's so clear that we're to be filled with the Spirit. And, and by the way, when we become a Christian, we are baptized in the Spirit, right? There's no, there's no second baptism. There's no second blessing. There, there's no charismatic experience where you're a Christian, and then you get a second baptism that gives you this new victory over sin. That, that's not biblical. There's one baptism of the Spirit that occurs when you're converted, but there are many fillings. Because Ephesians 5.18, it's in the present tense in the Greek. It's be continually and constantly filled. But it's also in the passive voice. So it's something that we're allow to be done to us constantly. Okay, I just gave you a great biblical exegetical uh, perspective. So what? You didn't tell me how to do it, Bob. Welcome to my world, right? I was hearing this teaching, but nobody told me, how does it work? I, I literally felt like I had a magic lamp, and it wasn't working, and I'm rubbing it. I'm, I'm doing everything. Wait, where's the genie? How do I get this Holy Spirit? I know He's in me, but how do I release Him? nothing. And it didn't seem like people I was talking to, it didn't seem like they could help me understand either. You know, walking in the Spirit, Galatians 5, 16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, this again is present tense. Constantly and continually walk in the Spirit. Only this isn't passive voice. This is active voice. So we're to be filled, allow something. It's still a command, be filled, allow it to happen to you, and then walk in the Spirit active. It's something we're to do. Okay, I know I'm supposed to be filled with the Spirit. I know I'm supposed to walk in the Spirit. Tell me how. I don't know what it was, but no one was able to explain it to me in a way that that helped me. And so the dark night of the soul continued. By the way, when I talk about the dark night of the soul, I'm not talking seven hours. I'm not talking seven days. I'm not talking seven months. I'm talking seven years. Seven years of knowing that I was a Christian, knowing it's all true, but constantly feeling that though I was loved by God, He did not like me very much because I was such 
a screw-up. I can remember when I was dating Laurie, and I was, I was very honest with her. And I said, um, Laurie, I don't know if you want to be with me because I honestly feel like I'm going to end up in a rubber room. I don't know if they have those here for people that are struggling with mental health. And I'll never forget, this is one of the things that kept me going during the seven years. She cupped my face in her hands, and she said, Bob, if they move you into a rubber room, I promise Whoop. Is that me? Huh. Do I fix that? God must not want you to hear this. <laughs> no, the devil must not want you to hear this. God does want you to hear this. She cupped my face in her hands, and she said, Bob, if try to move you into a rubber room. Right here. Is this good? Okay. I'm going to get this story in. It's anticlimactic now, I'm sure. She cupped my face in her hands. This was after I said, Laurie, I may end up in a rubber room. And I'll never forget it. It brings me to tears. She said, Bob, if they move you into a rubber room, know that I will move in there with you. And it was that sense of hope and grace that kept me going. We all need that, don't we? There may be people in this room, there may be people that you have regular contact with, and that's what they need to hear. Because they're, they're going through a dark night of the soul, and that's not because they're living in sin. I mean, some could be, right? But some aren't. And we don't talk about this enough in the church. And we need to be willing to step in to people's lives and say, I, I don't know why God's got you in the season he's got you in. But you're not alone. I can't fix it. But I'm not going to leave you. It was still several years before God brought me out of it. But I want to tell you, He brought me out of it because of what we're talking about here this weekend. So that's why I'm saying it's so simple what we're going to go over. You're going to think, we spent a whole weekend on that. But you need to know, it was born out of deep, great pain. In John 15, in verse 4, 
Jesus said, abide in me. Again, command, imperative. Let me ask you, what does it mean to abide in Christ? And then he says in verse 15, or verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branch, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. In Galatians 3, he says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In Galatians 3, 5, Paul writes that he who continually and constantly supplies the Spirit and continually and constantly works miracles among you, the supernatural life, does he do so by works of the law, by trying harder, Bob, or by hearing with faith? So, before we go any further, you have some space at the bottom of the page there. I want you to do a few things for me. We're going to take just a couple minutes because this sets the, the stage for the rest of what we're talking about. Write down in your own words just a sentence or two, what do you think it means to be filled with the Spirit? Just, just, just a sentence or so. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Or put another way, how do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? Are you filled with the Spirit right now? How do you know? Write it down. The second question is like it. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Are you walking in the Spirit right now? How do you know? I mean, is this not humbling? <laughs> this is like gospel 101. This, this is about as basic as it gets. And yet, most believers can't answer these questions. So if you're, if you're struggling, be of good cheer. You're not alone. Third question is very similar. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Are you abiding in Christ right now? How do you know? Okay, we're going to skip the, the next couple of pages uh, because I'm going to cover that more detail as we move forward. So go to uh, where it says every Christian dances. It's uh, page 10 in your book. So this is how every Christian answers the questions I just asked you to answer. We dance. Now, 
we dance in response to circumstances and situations that God sovereignly orchestrates in our lives. God is constantly pursuing us to conform us to Christ. And we respond to God's pursuit of us through the various circumstances, situations, and relationships in our lives. We respond in one of three ways, okay? The first way is a dance that I call the bunny hop. You've heard of it, I'm sure. I was in Japan doing this. And on the way back, after talking about the bunny hop, we passed a wedding shop. Uh, the Japanese, they're, they're not Christians. They're, by the way, do you know that it's one of the most uh, technologically advanced, socially advanced, uh, medically advanced nations in the world? Do you know Japan is the least Christianized country in the world? Three-tenths of one percent of Japanese know Jesus. I think Bangladesh may be the, the only, uh, least, only country with less Christians, uh, percentage-wise. Anyway, as I'm walking back from doing this, uh, this talk and talking about the bunny hop, I'm thinking there's no way the Japanese understand the bunny hop. Here is a wedding shop, and they've got a picture of a wedding reception, and they're all doing the bunny hop. I couldn't believe it. It's a one-step dance. You just hop, right? It's a, like a little line dance. And what happens with this is people reduce the Christian life, the spirit-filled life, what it means to abide in Christ. They reduce it to one element. Now, what did I reduce the Christian life to? Try harder, right? And I guarantee you there's some of us in here that you've reduced the Christian life to a bunny hop. You understand what it means to be converted. You've transferred your trust from yourself and your own works to the finished work of Christ. You're converted. But when it comes to the Christian life, you've reduced Christian growth to keep trying harder. Now, does the Bible call us to try harder? Of course it does. Is that the entire Christian life? No way. Others of us have reduced the Christian life to, to confess more. If you just would confess more sin, then the Christian life would work for you. Does the Bible call us to confess our sin? Of course it does. Is that the entire paradigm of Christian living? No, it's not. Then there's a third bunny hop, and I call this the let go, let God people. Just, just let go, let God. God will zap you somehow into spiritual living. Now, does the, the Bible really never calls us to wait around to be zapped, but it does call us to continually trust God, but it, it calls us to more than that. So the bunny hop is incomplete. It's a truncated gospel. Now, there's a dance in America that's a, a line dance. It's a country-western dance. It's called the Texas Two-Step. And I'm not going to show you because I'm not a very good dancer. 
But the Texas two-step is reducing the Christian life to two elements. The most common Texas two-step, and I know we've all engaged in it, whether you understand what a Texas two-step is or not, it's confess and try harder. That when it comes to the Christian life, we think what we're supposed to do is confess our sin and promise real, to try real hard not to do it again. Now, I'm not going to ask for hands, but how many of us are thinking, well, that is the Christian life. Okay, let me just throw some truth lovingly at you. There's no Jesus in that at all. None. Confess and try harder. That's, that's completely empowered by self. What does Jesus' finished work have anything to do with that? Could a Muslim do that? Confess and try harder? Of course he or she could. Could a religious Jew do that? Confess and try harder? Sure. Confess and try harder is not particularly Christian. Now, there's another Texas two-step, and this is the closest to what we've come to to the Christian life, the Spirit-filled life, abiding in Christ, walking in the Spirit, and that is repent of your sin and believe the gospel afresh. Now, that is close. The problem is repent and believe the gospel truncates the gospel by forgetting that there are all kinds of commands God gives us in Scripture that we are called to follow. There is a life to live. And so that's why we've come up with the waltz. It's not a bunny hop. It's not a Texas two-step. It's a continual flowing dance with Christ. Repent of your sin, believe the gospel afresh, and fight the good fight of faith. Repent, believe, fight. Repent, believe, fight. Now, I'm going to go a little bit over because we're going to show a movie clip. Are we all already set to do this? Okay, this is a picture of my life. Uh, this, no, let's not show it yet. This is a picture of my life where the, the lenses God gave me to see the gospel changed everything. And my prayer for all of us here today is that we will experience new glasses, gospel glasses, that enable us to see Jesus and see the Christian life unlike we've ever seen it before. This is going to be a clip about a 66-year-old bodybuilder, tough guy, right? Doesn't show any emotion. He's very rough. He's very gruff. He's a little grumpy. And you're going to see him be transformed. He's colorblind. He's never seen color his whole life. And his family buys him some special glasses where for the first time in his life he sees color. And this parallels what it's like for the first time in our lives to really understand how the gospel applies to the Spirit-filled life, walking in the Spirit, abiding in Christ, the supernatural life. Are we set? Okay. 
Happy birthday, dear daddy. Yeah, okay. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> How old are you now? <laughs> oh, there's there's something for you to open. If I was going to guess. Don't guess. You're going to guess wrong. You're going to guess wrong. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I could probably still outrun you. <laughs> I don't know, not with that knee. I got all replacement parts. Birthday baby from okay. all of us. Happy birthday. What is this? Put them on. Put them on. Put them on. The sunglasses. How does it look? Oh, that's weird. Look at the balloons. <laughs> Can you see with our eyes now, baby? What colors you see? Those. You see colors now? Oh, the trees are neat. <laughs> 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 now you have rose colored glasses, baby. Now you see with our eyes. Do you like the balloons? <laughs> What about the flowers in the house? I've seen that a hundred times, <laughs> and every time I weep. Um, I weep because that's what happened to me. After seeing in black and white for so many years as a Christian, I, f I finally felt like I understood where their color comes from. And it comes from understanding your spirit-filled life, understanding what it means to abide in Christ. Uh, understanding the supernatural life. And my prayer for us today and this weekend is that you'd be able to put on the glasses that would open up a whole new world. Let me pray. 
God, thank you for this time together. And uh, though we've gone a bit long, we pray that you'll catch us up and give us the opportunity to process what we're learning. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gospel. Help us to, to internalize it more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.